Thank you so much, Steve. Y'all give Steve a big hand. So thankful for him. I am so grateful for Steve and his amazing team. They have everything just ready. All I have to do is show up and teach. And uh, Mark, I'm so thankful for him and his passion to teach God's Word week after week. And he hands out that little hand, that little listening guide, you know, 12 to 15 pages, single space, footnoted. And, uh, you know, and God bless him for that. Just so, so touched by his generosity. And he asked me if I would be willing to fill in for him today because of his uh, assignment in New Jersey. So I'll be praying for him. And I cannot wait to hear what I say this morning. I am so looking forward to what God says through me as a broken vessel before him. Well, how many of you had a wonderful Thanksgiving? Would you shout amen? amen? All right. Now stand up. Go tell somebody one thing you did over Thanksgiving. Real quickly, stand up. Go tell somebody one thing you did over Thanksgiving. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Tanya and I had the privilege of traveling with Tori and Austin, our children, to the great state of Louisiana where I grew up. And I grew up in Alexandria, and Tanya's family grew up in Dry Prong, just 25 miles north of Alexandria. And so it's so much fun because at Thanksgiving, uh, we hit all the bases, both sides of the families. We have so much food. It's so much fun. And we normally stay at Tanya's parents' home out in the country. They have a lot of land, a lot of trees, very little concrete, very little asphalt, and no skyscrapers. It's just a very serene environment. And whenever our nephews come to join the team, there's a lot of fun to be had on all of that land. And they're always looking for something else to do, something else to do. And there's so much to do out there. And one of the highlights for us is bringing the four-wheeler out from under the shed, dusting it off, and we tie a rope to it to a plastic swimming pool. I mean, some of you've got to do every Thanksgiving to make memories together. And then we put our children in there one at a time, our nephews in there. And, and normally I drive the four-wheeler just for safety's sake. And, and whoever chooses to get in the swimming pool, they have this little dog collar, little dog collar they hold on to. They sit in an Indian-style sit, sitting position. And then we take off through the pasture. And we just sling them from side to side. And, and you'll just go in circles over and over. And they're just out there flapping and flying. And sometimes that edge of that little pool will catch and they just flip and flip and flip. It is so awesome. It is amazing. So when I think of Thanksgiving, I think about those habits that we embrace that are life-changing, that are life-altering, and that really are a way to cement memories for the family. Well, most of you would probably agree that's probably not a healthy habit, is it? But we'll do it next year and the next because we just love making those memories together. But when you study God's Word, God's Word teaches us about healthy habits, a lifestyle to embrace that brings him honor and glory that benefits your life and benefits the lives of other people. So what I want to do is focus this morning on healthy habits related to thanksgiving and contentment. Thanksgiving and contentment. And I want to invite you to turn with me, if you will, to your Bible, to Philippians chapter 4. So thankful for this new Bible that Mark and Becky Lanier uh, gave to me. It's a new ESV ultra-thin leather Bible, and I love it. Philippians chapter 4 will be there in just a moment. Now, I'm going to ask you to write down these three healthy habits related to Thanksgiving 
and contentment. Here's habit number one. Be thankful for the people God has used to help you. Be thankful for the people God has used to help you. Now, we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 4. Let me just paint the portrait for us before we dive into God's Word. Ten years has passed. A full decade since Paul has been to Philippi. He is now in Rome, 800 miles away. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard, perhaps eight-hour shifts. A new guard comes and is chained to Paul. Can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for eight hours? He's under house arrest, and so his freedom is limited, yet he has freedom in Christ. And what's so extraordinary about the passage we're going to read is there's been this 10-year delay where the church at Philippi that he founded had been so instrumental in financing his missionary journeys and being a part of his ministry. They gave generously to support his ministry to Thessalonica and then to Berea. They continued their support as he traveled through Athens and Corinth. But then there's this delay. And we pick up here in this delay, and you're going to see exactly what Paul's talking about here in verse number 10. When you're there, would you say amen? Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, what Paul is alluding to is now 10 years later, the church at Philippi is coming to his rescue once again. They're giving to him financially. They're investing in his ministry. They're investing in his life. They're demonstrating their love and affection for Paul and his commitment to the gospel. Now, Paul was very quick to rejoice in that they were responding to his needs. But he also acknowledged that they had compassion, but they just had no opportunity to put their compassion into action. They had a heart for him, a love for him. They already demonstrated their devotion to him and to the Lord, but they just had no track to run on until now. If you'll skip down to verse 18, we pick up on the answer. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus... The gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here's what the church at Philippi did they gave sacrificially so that a need could be met. They gave the money to Epaphroditus so that he could be the messenger of hope, the messenger of good news, and the deliverer of money. And so Epaphroditus goes to Rome to see Paul and engages him and presents to him this wonderful, generous gift from the church at Philippi, the one Paul deeply loved. And Paul's needs are met above and beyond. You see, Paul was very in tune with the people God used to help him. I mean, you think about how extraordinary his life is. And here in the biblical literacy class, you've had the privilege of studying Paul through and through. You probably know him better than most people on the globe. You're very in tune with Paul and his life and his ministry. But all how we need to be so in tune with the people God used to help him. I love to read John Maxwell. 
He's one of my favorite leadership authors, and he pastored a megachurch for many years, and then God led him into the ministry of leading leaders and building leaders and developing leaders. So I have all of his books, and I get his Maxwell Minute every morning via email and watch the little video. He's a great man of God and has really uh, had a tremendous impact on my life and my leadership. Here's a quote that really connects with me. He says, to add value to others, you must first value others. I want you to write that down. To add value to others, you must first value others. And so my question for us this morning is this. Do people matter to you? Do you value people? Do you value the people God has used in your life to get you where you are today? I wonder what it'd be like to just ask Paul, Paul, can we see your list? Can we see the list of people God has used to help you? I wonder who Paul would have on his list. Now, it'd be very easy for us to jump over to maybe Romans 16, where Paul has this expansive list of all the people that he wanted to greet and is so thankful for. But it would take several weeks to go through all those names. So I just thought we'd select a few names, maybe from another list. Maybe Paul would first say Ananias. Remember Ananias? Acts chapter 9. Saul is on his way to Damascus, on this road to Damascus, and he's going to persecute the church to arrest Christians. And he's confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's blinded three days and three nights. And then God goes to Ananias, who was a disciple in Damascus, and says, now, Ananias, I want you to go to this Saul of Tarsus. He's on Straight Street. And I want you to lay hands on him and pray over him so that he will be restored, his sight physically, but also be filled with the Spirit. And, of course, Ananias said, no, God, don't you know who that is? And you could just see God leaning in saying, no. Tell me more. He's like, God, haven't you heard? I mean, he is persecuting Christians. He is locking up people and dragging them away. He's after followers of the way. Haven't you heard about him? And and God was so grateful to Ananias. You could just hear God saying, Ananias, thank you for bringing me up on the one I created. Now go, for he's my chosen instrument. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went, laid hands on Paul. His eyes restored, and his spiritual sight made whole. He was filled with the Spirit, and the Bible says immediately he began preaching the Word of God. Which brings our next one on the list, Barnabas. I love Barnabas. Oh, Barney, my man. He's the son of encouragement. He's the one who you want hanging out with you. He's the person who comes alongside you and draws out the best in you. How many of you have a Barnabas in your life? Would you raise your hand? Now, how many of you don't, but you need one? Would you raise your hand? Oh, listen, you've got to have a Barnabas in your life. Whenever Paul was preaching there in Damascus, you could imagine the fear and terror throughout the churches there, and they did not receive him very warmly. And then he came to Jerusalem, and the brothers did not receive him as one of them. And that's where Barnabas stepped in, and he stood in the gap to build a bridge from where Paul was to where the other disciples were. He stood for Paul to say, He's a new man. Yes, he used to be a persecutor of the church. Now God has called him to be a preacher of the gospel. And I put my credibility on the line on his behalf. And then he was just catapulted forward in the kingdom of God. I wonder if we erased Barnabas' name, would we have a Paul today? I wonder if we'd have almost two-thirds of the New Testament 
had God not put a Barnabas in Paul's life. I would say that Barnabas would be in his top four. Maybe Silas. I love old Silas. He's kind of like the right-hand man. He's the shadow of Paul. You have Paul and Silas and the highlight of their ministry in Acts 16 when they deliver a fortune teller from demon possession and her owners got perturbed by that. They were distraught by that and they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into prison. But at midnight, the jailhouse began to rock and that's where rock and roll music was infused into the New Testament. Can I have an Amen. And I mean, it was rocking and rolling. God showed up in all of his glory, and the chains and fetters that had bound them were loose. The gates were swung open wide, and the prisoners were free to leave, and the jailer's about to take his own life, fearing the emperor. And that's when Paul and Silas said, wait, we're still here. And the jailer fell on his knees before them and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Not only did the jailer get saved, but his whole family got saved and was baptized. Thank God for Silas. And then there's Lydia. Remember Lydia? Lydia was there when all the ladies were gathered on the beach in their prayer meeting. When Paul and Silas had come to town, they encountered them, shared more fully the way of the Lord, and Lydia gave her life to Christ. And then in the final verse of Acts 16, after this Philippian jailer and his whole family get saved, guess where they go to meet? Lydia's house. Lydia, that dealer of fine purple. Lydia, the one who had the gift of hospitality. Lydia, the one who opened her home, which became the church at Philippi. What about your list? Who would be on your list? I want you to think about that for a moment. Who would be the first person you would write down on your list? Who has God used to help you in your journey? Maybe a Sunday school teacher, a life group teacher. Maybe a godly grandmother, a grandfather, a mother, a dad, an aunt or an uncle. Maybe a school teacher. Maybe a coach who just modeled Christ before you. Maybe a coworker, maybe a boss, maybe a friend or a neighbor. Who's on your list? That's a healthy habit. Being thankful for the people God has used in our life. Let's look at habit number two. You ready to go there? Here's habit number two. Be thankful for the process God uses to develop us. Now look to your neighbor, if you would, and just say, I believe this is going to get painful. Would you go ahead and do that? When we talk about the process God uses to develop us as habit number two, that we're to be thankful for the process God uses to develop us, we come across a concept here in verse number 11 and 12. Look with me. Not that I am speaking of being in need, Paul says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be, what? Content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you'll underline the word content, 
It's a power word in the language of the New Testament. In fact, here in verse 11, it's the only place this Greek word is used in our Bible. This word content. Now, it's used in extra biblical literature in ancient Greek where it speaks of a city that is self-sustaining, a city or even a country that is not dependent upon imports. It has that concept of self-sufficiency, not dependent on anyone else. But when Paul talks about content, that I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hunger, whether living in plenty or in want, Paul's talking about this divinely bestowed sufficiency that can only come from God. That's contentment. Why don't you look at that word there in that verse. In whatever situation I am to be content. Divinely bestowed sufficiency regardless of circumstances. Pastor David preached a moment ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he talked about praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. And one thing he said that was just so powerful is that joy is not connected to circumstances. You see, that's happiness. If all the conditions are right, I will be happy. But joy is not dependent upon circumstances. And the same can be said about contentment. Being content has nothing to do with affirming your circumstances. Contentment has nothing to do whether you're in the prison or in the palace. That your contentment is not determined by your circumstances. But it's much deeper than that, much richer than that. And I want to give you the big picture to help you understand. Here's the big picture. Three big Baptist words that you may be familiar with. The first word is salvation. Salvation. Remember, that's an event, as Pastor David likes to say, followed by a process. There's an event in your life when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. You recognize your sin. You run from sin to Jesus alone for salvation. You're born from above, born again. You're adopted into God's family, filled with God's spirit. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have experienced salvation. That's an event followed by the process of sanctification. To sanctify means to set apart. So you're saved and set apart. Now you're in this process of spiritual development. Now you're placed in this greenhouse of spiritual maturity, sanctification. And then there's the big word, glorification. Now, don't you look forward to that? That's when you trade in this old shell, this old body, this old pinto for a Lamborghini for the glory of God. It's when you no longer have to battle the sin nature, this old fallen flesh, this diseased and decaying body. You receive your glorified body. But when Paul talks about, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, He's referring to this process of sanctification. Now, if you looked in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul talks about forgetting those things which are behind and straining toward those things which are ahead. I press on. And it's like Paul is leaning in. He's fully engaged. He's motivated. He's determined. He has tenacity. He has passion. And he is so focused. And then in chapter 4, he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. 
So there's a tension. There's a tension with this contentment that it doesn't mean satisfied. We should never get to a place in our Christian journey where we're just satisfied with our current reality. We can always grow and become more like Jesus every day. So there ought to be a holy discontent as far as our spiritual drive. We want to be more like Jesus every day. We want to be disciplined to spend time alone with him every day and practice his presence. But contentment is a divinely bestowed sufficiency that is not connected to our circumstances. That regardless if you're in the sea that is swirling and the waves are high and the winds are strong and the rain is coming down hard, or if you're on a tranquil pond, that you're content. Because your contentment is not based on circumstances. It's based in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Sanctification. I'm growing. I'm becoming. And I'm content in who I am in Jesus. It's coming to that place of saying, he is my sufficiency. There's a verse I want you to write down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a very powerful passage, verses 7 through 10. You recall this is right after the Apostle Paul went into the third heaven, received that special revelation from God. Now, he's on a mountaintop, this incredible experience, encountering God, special revelation from God, and then God does something to keep his life in check. And we pick up here. So to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful, because of this surpassing greatness of this revelation a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited and three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it should leave me now here's the picture paul has received this divine revelation he knows something we don't know he's encountered something no one else has encountered at that level And then God is now giving Paul a thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming conceited, full of pride. Now, we've studied the thorn in the flesh, and some say, well, it was a vision impediment. Some says it's a speech impediment. Some say, no, it's a little stake that was impaled in his side. Some say, no, as a Pharisee, he would have been married. And when he came to faith in Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, maybe his wife wasn't up for this journey to go with him. And maybe he became single again. Maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. Maybe it was a harmful habit that he had embraced in sin, and he was trying to get delivered from it. And in Romans 7, he says, those things I don't want to do, I keep on doing. Maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, it was allowed by God so that Paul would depend upon God. What is your thorn? What is your thorn? What is that thing in your life that you've asked God to remove time and time again? You've agonized in prayer. God, would you remove this thorn? How did he respond? Maybe like he responded to Paul. But he said to me, would you read this with me? My grace is sufficient for you. One more time. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here it is. For the sake of Christ, then I am content. There's our word again. I am content 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me give you a powerful statement that I learned about about 20 years ago when I went through experiencing God. Here's a great statement by Henry Blackaby. God will always develop your character to match the assignment. God will always develop your character to match the assignment. You see, God knows the plans he has for you. God has an assignment for you to fulfill on this earth before he calls you home. And God is so passionate about you and your assignment from heaven that he is going to passionately develop your character to match the assignment. So if you had to make a list on a sticky note, and it would look maybe something like this, character and contentment development in my life. Character and contentment development in my life. What would go on your list? Maybe it's a season of adversity that you've endured. Maybe it's a very painful experience that you had. What would go on your list? I didn't want to type mine in and and bore you, but I just thought through my list, and probably the first thing would go on my list for character and contentment development would be my parents' divorce when I was seven. Probably number two for me would be my dad's imprisonment for 10 years. That was character and contentment development in my life. I thought about maybe my jet ski accident as a junior in high school when I was in ICU for two weeks. wasn't supposed to make it. And through that experience, God called me to preach. God knew it would take that drastic measure for me to surrender. But that was a major character and contentment development season in my life. Then I had an experience at age 29. My daughter was really young, Tori, and she got those little red dots on her body called chicken pox. And I remember when we took her to the doctor, and the doctor interviewed Tanya. Now, have you had chicken pox as a child? Oh, yeah. Well, Stephen, have you had chicken pox as a child? I was like, well, no. Well, then you're susceptible. I said, now, but I'm an adult. I'm 29. How will I know? She said, you'll know on day 21. So on day 20, let me tell you, I looked fine. Everything was great. But on day 21, something popped up on the tip of my nose. And then on the side of my cheek. And then on my forehead. And before you knew it, I was covered from head to belly button with those red spots. And so I rushed to the doctor to get help. And he had the audacity to ask, now, do you want this to be a short experience or a long experience? I said, I want the microwave plan. Let's get delivered from this. So he put me on medication, and that's why it stopped at my belly button. And I thought, there's no way I'll show you the picture of me when I was covered. It was at Christmas time. And it would have broken my computer, so I decided not to do it. Just know that I look like death warmed over. And it's kind of funny now looking back, and Tori thinks it's hilarious because she bounced back quickly from it. But it really knocked me down. And it was a character and contentment development season in my life 
where God taught me to just trust him, to trust him. And I try to tell him, but God, I'm a pastor. I preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I speak all over. I'm always in front of people. The lights are bright, and I can't even have a fever blister in it without it being a distraction. Lord, how would I ever stand before people full of all of this? Chicken pox. And God reminded me it's not about what they see on the outside. It's what I see on the inside. You make sure that's right, and we'll work on the outside. How many of you had, had chicken pox? Would you raise your hand? God bless you. Just wanted to feel that with you. Okay, we're going to wrap up with number three. Here it is. Habit number three. Healthy habit related to thanksgiving and contentment. Here it is. Be thankful for the person God uses to empower you. Be thankful for the person God uses to empower you. And we pick up in one of our favorite verses is, uh, verses of Scripture, Philippians 4.13. When I was coaching baseball the last three years, it was our theme verse. We would quote it before the game, after the game. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The person God uses to empower you. Did you know God never intended for you to live the Christian life outside of his enablement? God empowers you through Jesus to live on mission with him. He is your power. I love Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the Christian life is not about what I can do for God. It's about what God wants to do in me and through me through the person of Jesus Christ. I love Colossians 1.27. To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, say it with me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. So here's my question. What is your source of strength? Whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, what is your source of strength? Maybe you would say, oh, listen, I'm, I'm contemporary. I live on the edge. I wake up every morning and I go straight for this. The five-hour energy drink, that is my source of strength. But it won't deliver what God delivers. Maybe for you, you're a little more sophisticated, and, and maybe you would say, no, no, no. The source of my strength is Starbucks coffee. That's what I look forward to. I wake up to that every morning. I don't even need an alarm clock. Just knowing that Starbucks is awaiting the source of my strength. Well, that'll help you, to bless you, but it won't get you where you need to go on mission with God. So you've got to go beyond those. You go to the person who wore this for you, Jesus. You go to the one who embraced the crown of thorns for you, who died on the cross for you, who was raised from the dead for you, who ascended back to the Father for you, and who sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, the Spirit of Christ. The source of your strength is Jesus, and he's all you need. Let me give you the points for home before we close in prayer. Here's the first one. Express gratitude to those God has used to help you. Express it. Don't withhold that. 
Let them know how much they mean to you. Be specific about how God has used them in your life. You can maybe use a phone call, text message, maybe a letter. I know that's old-fashioned, but it still works. Maybe an email, maybe Facebook message, maybe in person. Now, that would be, that would be really progressive <laughs> in person. Or maybe a card, just a sweet card, and let them know how God has used them in your life. Or maybe Skype. Maybe they're in another country and you want to see them face to face. Just express gratitude to those God has used to help you. Then number two, exhibit contentment in proportion to your spiritual development. Exhibit the contentment. You know, you've got to get to a place in life where you use this word, enough. That I'm not waiting to get around this corner and have this, and then I'm going to be content. Or if I could just pay this off, well, then I'll be content. Oh, if I could just subscribe to, if I could have that, if I could have, and you keep putting off your life. And God wants us to live in the here and now and learn to be content now. Get to the place where you understand and embrace the word enough. That I'm content. I'm going to exhibit that contentment in proportion to my spiritual development. Now, there's great gain in godliness with contentment, Paul says to Timothy. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. So exhibit contentment. Then number three, expand your application of the strength Christ provides. Expand your application of the strength Christ provides. I remember hearing Rick Warren speak at a pastor's conference many years ago, and I'll never forget this statement he used. He said that God's highest power is reserved for his greatest task. When you are on mission with God, fulfilling the great commission, pointing people to Jesus, you will know God's power in that moment like no other because that's what you're created for, to point people to Jesus. When you get to that place of desperation when there's nothing else you can do, and you just cling to God and say, God, I'm, I, I have nothing left. I am so bankrupt before you. I am so depleted before you. God, I'm nothing without you. God, I'm not even Kleenex before you. God just infuses you with his power to remind you that it's not about you, but it's about him. Making his strength available to you so that you can apply it in daily life regardless of your circumstances. And I love this verse. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God's power is made available to you. So those are healthy habits related to thanksgiving and contentment. The next year, if you want to experience an unhealthy habit, Go with me. I'll put you behind the four-wheeler in that little plastic swimming pool. You'll hold on to that dog collar for your life. And you'll be thankful for this message on contentment. Would you stand? And we're going to close in prayer. God bless you. You've been such a joy to teach this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you so much. You're so awesome, so mighty. We bless you for being awesome and personal. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning, for those going through seasons of difficulty and adversity, 
Lord, that you would make your grace known, your strength known, and that you would expand their application of your power, that they would exhibit contentment in the midst of their circumstances. Lord, may we always express gratitude to you for those you've used in our life. We love you so much. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus, who has changed our forever. And may we invest the rest of our lives bringing honor and glory to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.